Good morning. Good morning. If I, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Wilson. I'm the pastoral resident here at Incarnation. It's great to be with you. Uh, we are continuing this morning our sermon series that's in the Psalms, which we've titled Honest to God. The Psalms help us to be honest in our prayer to God, um, learning to pray like Jesus. So this is what Jesus used to learn how to pray. So we're learning just like Jesus would have learned how to pray. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 30. It's what we just read responsively a few moments ago. And this is a psalm of thanksgiving or gratitude. Gratitude is hot right now. Uh, Everybody's into gratitude. Um, So everyone's recognizing that being grateful just makes you healthier overall. Uh, It's good for your mental health, even good for your physical health. So just a couple of examples. Um, One article out of uh, Harvard Medical School, it's talking about this social experiment that was done, uh, conducted around gratitude to figure out what uh, what happens to you when you're feeling grateful. So it, it said that one group of people in this experiment uh, wrote about things they were grateful for that had occurred to them during the week. And then a second group wrote about daily irritations or things that had displeased them all week long. And then a third were, were told to write about events that had affected them. So whether positive or negative doesn't, doesn't matter. After 10 weeks, the people who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic and felt better about their lives. So that's not surprising. What is surprising is they exercised more and had fewer visits to the physician than those who focused on sources of aggravation. I'll give you another one. Uh, Dr. David Destino, he's a professor of psychology at Northeastern University, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times called Why Gratitude is Wasted on Thanksgiving. He's basically arguing that we don't need a holiday to kind of remind us one day a year to do the gratitude thing, but it needs to be like permeating our lives and because it gives us great health uh, effects. So he's done extensive research around gratitude and psychology. And what he's found is that people who f- when people feel gratitude, they cheat and steal less. They're more generous and less materialistic. They are less impulsive and more patient. And they're more productive at work. So... We could say gratitude leads, leads to this general sense of optimism and feeling better about yourself, uh, mentally and physically. It leads to contentment. It leads to productivity. If any of us were in that place, like we'd feel like we were doing pretty good, right? Like you feel good and you're getting things done. Um, that's kind of what we're all looking for, right? Gratitude is good for you. All the research proves that everyone is recognizing this and, uh, and trying to do it. Real popular. But here's the problem. The problem is that gratitude does not come naturally or easily. Maybe the reason we're writing about it so much in blogs and on social media and doing so much research around it is that we're recognizing that we all have a lack of gratitude and that it's hard to get. So in, uh, in the spirit of Aubrey's sermon last week on confession, I'm just going to do a little bu- uh, public confessing. So I was reading this uh, psalm this week and having a very hard time getting into it. I picked Psalm 30 a couple weeks ago because it meant a lot to me at a certain point in my life, but revisiting it this week, I was having a very difficult time drinking deeply of this thing. I was just struggling. My own ungratefulness was like this heavy weight that I was trying to pick up and move. 
It was like this big fat rhinoceros of ungratefulness had just parked itself in my soul and like I could not get the thing to move. And I actually didn't even realize that it was sitting there until I had to deal with this psalm and then realized that, whoa, this is a problem. If you're anything like me, if that resonates at all, they're like, I don't know if I'm just living my life floating along by, by gratitude day in and day out. If that's where you are, where can we find help? Well, the Psalms can help. Throughout the Psalms, we find prayers of thanksgiving that teach us, as we practice praying them, the skill of praying with deep and honest gratitude, which in turn will naturally translate to a more grateful way of living. Something we've been saying all along in this series, prayer is a skill that must be honed. And this is especially true this week as we look at growing in our ability to pray with thanksgiving. And a prayer life that is deeply grateful will easily translate to a more grateful way of living. So, if you've got a Bible, uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to Psalm 30, or for the next few weeks while we're looking at Psalms, you can cheat and just use the Psalm that's earlier in your worship guide. Did that help with some of the popping stuff? Okay, all right, great. I still haven't figured this out after two years. Um, So turn to Psalm 30 if you've got a Bible or flip back in your worship guide. Uh, Psalm 30 and ones like it can teach us to pray our way into gratitude. Okay, something that immediately sticks out as we just look at Psalm 30 in broad brushstrokes as a whole is that, yes, the word thanks shows up twice in the Psalm, but overall, this is not a very upbeat psalm. In fact, the majority of Psalm 30 sounds like a lament. And that might strike you as odd, like it did me. You might think if I were to write a psalm of thanksgiving that would be labeled by that way, it wouldn't sound like a lament for a lot of it. If, that, if it strikes you as, as odd, then you may have just identified your first roadblock in the way to becoming more grateful. You see, it could be that a barrier to us being praying with more gratitude is that we think being thankful is basically being a Pollyanna. Find the silver lining. Look on the bright side. At least I've still got X or whatever, or at least this is still true, even though all this other stuff is going on, but don't think about the bad stuff. Just try and find something good, right? But look at what David does. For one, he's dead honest about the condition he was in. It was like death. Look at verse 3. You have brought up my soul from Sheol, the place of the dead. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. He's also dead honest about his own foolishness. Look at verses 6 and 7. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. We all know that feeling. When things are going well, you feel basically prosperous and like you're doing well, then you kind of feel like it's, I figured it out, finally. I figured out the key, you know? I'm going to feel good now. I'm going to be like a strong mountain, only to have it all fall apart. And that false sense of security is exposed for what it really was. We weren't a mountain. We were a cardboard cutout of a mountain that could fall down really easily. So David's honest about his condition, and he's honest about his own foolishness, And then finally, he's honest in his plea for mercy. He's forceful even. Look at verse 9. What profit is there in my death? 
It's like a, that word profit, it's like a commercial kind of word. It's like he's saying to God, if nothing else, God, what's in it for you if I just die? If nothing happens. So taking this, these things together, we have a key ingredient into grateful praying. And it's this, it's honest wrestling. Honest wrestling. Without first wrestling with God and total naked honesty, our attempts at gratitude will be tepid or they'll be forced or they'll just be unimaginative. We'll kind of say thanks for the same things over and over again without really thinking about it. But when we lay before God an unsugar-coated picture of our circumstances and our own foolishness or our ignorance or sin or whatever it is and turn those things into a vigorous and urgent plea for mercy at God's feet, then we've begun down the path to a grittier, more real-to-life gratitude. So grateful people are not the people who are best at compartmentalizing. I'm just saying, I'm not going to think about bad stuff. I'm going to think about good stuff. That's actually not what real gratitude is. Real gratitude does see life eyes wide open realistically and still is able to give thanks. So let's pull back really quick. What we're doing is mapping out a way that gratitude can become deeply ingrained in our life of prayer and therefore our lives in general. And so far we've noticed that in praying Psalm 30, gratitude really is the fruit of honest wrestling. This psalm only exists if David gets down and dirty in his prayer life and wrestles hard and is honest. So where do we go from there? Because if all you do is, is wrestle honestly, what you're left with is a lament, which is not a bad prayer at all. Very good prayer. It's just a different kind. There are pretty, plenty of psalms of lament, and we'll get into some of those later in our series. But how does lament turn into thanksgiving? Where do we go? Um, well, you'll notice that something happened to David after his earnest plea and all that wrestling. God answered. God did something in David's life. Just look at how many different ways David talks about it. So I'm just going to run through these. First one, look how many times David says, says the word you, pointing to God. You have drawn me up, verse 1, and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Verse 2, you have healed me. Verse 3, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life. Verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. All these things God has done to become the occasion for a rush of thanksgiving and praise. Now, we have to notice something really critical that happens that's not named in the psalm, but is assumed in it. And it's very easy to miss. God did something profound in David's life, but here's the key. David noticed that God did something. You see, it is actually possible for God to be working in your life right now. It's actually possible for God to be giving immense blessing day after day and to be offering grace and us not even notice. It's a big danger. Um, for the prime example, look at our gospel reading. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there if you'd like. Our gospel reading is Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. So in this story, uh, this is the story of Jesus cleansing 10 lepers. 
If you remember what uh, we just read a second ago, uh, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So here's a group of people that clearly know their condition, are wrestling with it, and give an earnest plea, right? And then verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So there's our next thing. God did something amazing. Jesus healed them, a life-changing thing. Now they're back in the social fabric. They're not outcasts anymore. Now their awful skin disease is, is healed. But then what happens? Verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. God did an amazing thing in the lives of 10 people, and yet only one noticed. Now, it's not that they didn't notice that they were healed. They all obviously noticed something profound had just happened. But only one made the essential connection back to the person of God. Only one attached himself to Jesus in praise and thanksgiving, while nine did not make that connection. Isn't that so true of us? Don't nine out of ten of us receive good things from God day after day without ever standing back far enough to see his hand and be overwhelmed with gratitude and love? The essential move in Psalm 30 is that David is like the one leper and not like the nine. He's like the one that noticed something profound happened after he cried out for mercy and went back to God in praise and thanksgiving and connected it to him in love. David had cultivated the ability to see, the ability to see God working. What we're talking here about here is what the church fathers and ancient writers would call watchfulness or awareness. It's simply a, a certain level of detachment, a certain level of detachment that doesn't have us just swamped with whatever's going on in our lives, but can stand back a little bit to get a little bit of critical distance to observe and to see that God is doing something. It's another key ingredient in becoming grateful, watchfulness, just the ability to see that God is at work. So how, how do we get our place to a place of, of awareness in this watchfulness? Um, it's a whole other, there's a lot to say here. It would be a really fun lecture, go through all the Eastern fathers because they have been teaching about this beautifully for centuries now. Um, we're not gonna go completely on that rabbit trail. Uh, all I wanna say <clears throat> is just one thing that the Christian tradition all points out is that silence is key. Silence is key to awareness. And they all point out that a busy, hurried mind in a heart that is divided in a thousand different ways by, by a bunch of different cravings, pulling us in a million different directions, that busy, hurried, torn apart sort of state is what creates an, an unwatchfulness. That is what makes us unaware and un, unwatchful, the inability to really see what's going on. And the antidote is pretty simple. 
It's just stillness. It's a slowing down of our mind and heart. It's a quietness. It's why we start our service the way that we do, where we just sit for some moments in quiet, because it gives us a second to just pull back and be aware that God's here right now, that God really is doing something, and we really are about to enter in and and worship him and give him thanks and praise. Um, I'm like fascinated by the subject of watchfulness and prayer and like uh, all this kind of stuff, so I'm going to cut that off right now so I don't just veer off into something completely different. Um, What we're trying to do right now, what we're trying to do right now is to see how praying Psalm 30 and others like it moves us into living with gratitude. And we've seen that it could be the case that some of us just think about gratitude as seeing the silver lining when really gratitude is the fruit of honest wrestling. And we've also seen that ungratefulness exists often because of our own blindness and deafness to God's hand in our lives. And it's not that God isn't doing anything or hasn't ever done anything that's worthy of our passionate thanks, but it could be the case that we're just missing it day after day. And the key to not missing it is watchfulness. Okay, but there's one final and very critical piece that's missing, that if we leave it out, it's going to leave our prayer of gratitude incomplete. And this is maybe the area that that we might be the most in danger of missing. And the reason is we tend to think of ourselves very individualistically, okay? And we we tend to like to keep our religion private. Even sometimes Christians, when we're around other Christians, can like privatize our religion when in like scenarios when you would think people would understand what we're talking about. What we see in this psalm and in every other psalm of thanksgiving is that the gratitude experienced by a person is always somehow shared to the community. The gratitude is not complete until it is shared. So you'll see that here in verse four. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. The way that's phrased is talking to other people. Sing praises, give thanks to his name, right? David is calling the entire community to give public thanks. And then he rehearses what God is like in verse five. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. And then verse 12, my glory will sing your praise and not be silent. Isn't that interesting? There's a time for silence, and there's a time to not be silent. And your personality will probably tend toward one or the other. So we're all challenged. It takes silence to be able to have the watchfulness necessary to see what God is up to. But gratefulness and praise is not fully alive until you share it and refuse to bottle it up. And that can take all sorts of different forms, right? Here, Psalm 30, is, as you'll see at the very top, it's uh, dedicated to a service at the temple, right? Psalm 30 is public praise. What you might do is just show up week by week and give thanks to God in this setting, in public. If David were here during prayers of the people later, when there's a moment to say something just on your own in public, he might have spoken up and just said this thing that God had done, Right? Psalms 34 and 107, these are other psalms of thanksgiving. In those, it's different. In those, it's teaching that's offered. The psalms kind of say, listen to me. Listen what I've learned. Look what I went through. Learn from my experience. 
Or you can think back to Hezekiah's prayer, which we read in our Old Testament reading. It's really similar to Psalm 30. Hezekiah was sick and called out to the Lord, and then the Lord healed him in this circumstance, and he gave thanks to God. He took the time in reflection to write a prayer that we still have with us today. Isaiah 38, 19, the living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. Listen to this, the father makes known to the children your faithfulness. Teaching children, generation after generation, what God has done. The gratitude, the joyful, deep gratitude is shared and sent out. And all the Psalms of Thanksgiving are that. There's somebody that noticed that God had done something when they were in distress and they're sharing it in the form of a prayer that everyone else can use. You see, at the end of the day, it's not your personal happiness or my personal happiness that's on the line when it comes to gratitude. It's actually our life together and the life of the world that is on the line. If I continue in my ungratefulness and my unwillingness to wrestle honestly with God about what's going on in my life or in my spiritual laziness that will, that will take no time to stand back and watch for what he's doing in my life and in this community, in this city, or if I persist in my unwillingness to somehow share what God has done, because maybe I'll be perceived as backwards or, or ignorant or overly pious or something. If I don't wrestle in prayer toward gratitude, it doesn't just hurt me, which it does, but it hurts all of us. Maybe one way that we could combat this feeling that everyone feels at one point or another that God is just so removed and so distant What if one way we can combat that is to cultivate a community of gratitude and thanksgiving, a community that refuses to let movements of God's grace go unnoticed? Perhaps one way that we as a missionary minority, as Church of the Incarnation, as churches in the city of Harrisonburg, missionary minority, could signal to the world that there is a God that there is a God who, like David says, draws people up from death and pulls people out of the pit in a way that David could scarcely have imagined. Because if you're a Christian in this room, the first three verses of this psalm, you can pray in the first person in total honesty because that's your story. Every Christian in, in this room has that story in Jesus Christ. He drew me up out of death in his glorious resurrection. Perhaps one way that we could signal people to this God, this rescuer, is by being absolutely permeated with an eyes wide open and gritty sort of gratitude that we're just not afraid to share. Now, how can we possibly do this? How can we get there? Well, it takes practice. It takes skill. And that's actually kind of good news. Gratitude does not come naturally but it takes practice, just like learning to play guitar or, or whatever, learning a new language. Authentic and persistent gratitude is way more complicated than just trying your hardest to think positively. You'll just get tired of thinking positively or you'll forget to think positively, right? But praying the Psalms of Thanksgiving can lead us there. God gives us tools. You can pray the Psalms of Thanksgiving and let them lead you into deep and authentic gratitude, and I'll do it too. 
So I'm going to give you seven psalms of thanksgiving. We've been doing this every week. Uh, And you can pray one of these every day this week. So I'll give you the list, and I'll repeat it. I'll repeat it once. All right, seven psalms of thanksgiving. Psalm 9, Psalm 30, 34, 40, 107, 116, 118. So I'll say it one more time. Psalm 9, 30, 34, 40, 107, 116, 118. Okay. As you take one of these each week, let their laments and let their wrestlings become your lament and your wrestling. Put whatever it is that you are wrestling with, whether it's your own sin or your circumstance or whatever, and put that into the words that the psalm has given you already. And then let that, the urgent plea for mercy that comes out of that be your urgent plea. And then, let me just suggest really practically that after you read the psalm once, you just take some time in silence. And if you can be silent and sit still for one minute, great. That's better than zero minutes. Uh, and by the way, when I say silence, it's not just not talking. It's, uh, it's like an interior silence. So if you're on your phone, it doesn't count as your minute, okay? It's got to be like real, real silence. Okay, do it for one minute if you can. If you can sit for five minutes, even better. It's kind of a muscle that you can grow. What we're doing is just taking some time to get a critical distance and to start becoming aware and to get out of our own roiling thoughts that are just going so fast that we can't even step back and, and see, okay? And then after you've been silent for a little bit of time, read the psalm again and give God thanks with the words that are there. And if you don't feel thankful, don't feel bad about that. Still pray the the thanksgiving. Still pray the praise. And then, just ask God. Ask God to open your eyes during the week for some opportunity, some natural opportunity to share what he's done. And maybe it's just in small group. When you go this week, maybe you just share something that God did. I prayed for this, and I noticed that God answered. And that was amazing. Or maybe it's a, a neighbor or a friend you know that, that doesn't know Jesus and pray that God might give you an opportunity that's natural that you could just talk about these things with that person. A last word. If you're here today and you are not sure about God, whether he exists or whether he's knowable or whether if he's knowable, if he's even worth knowing, if you're there, that is okay. I'm so glad you're here. You do not have to buy any of this stuff, this stuff to be here. But I just invite you to consider, could it be that there is a God who is near and who is not silent, who actually does things in this world? Thanksgiving rests upon recognizing that there's some goodness. It's kind of the definition of Thanksgiving, right? You recognize there's something good happening. Could it be that that goodness has a source that there is, there's an actual someone to be thankful to, someone to be grateful to. And so I'd invite you, if you're in that place, maybe just take one of these psalms every day this week and just see, just pray those things. Read through them, read through them a couple of times. Um, in the Psalm 107, which we're gonna sing in just a minute, closes this way. It's the perfect closing words. It's this, 
I'm excited for the day you do Psalm 107. It just talks about all these different stories of God's redemption and says, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. And then it ends this way. It says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. I'm gonna close this in prayer. And to do so, I'm going to uh, just use the last lines of the last prayer that happens at, at, daily, at the daily office prayer in the morning and evening, every single day, because they're just perfect. So let's bow our heads and pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen.